welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello, everybody. Hope everyone is doing well. I'm so excited about today's episode. We're talking about a topic that often is uncomfortable to discuss, and this may be a conversation that you just want in your own earbuds to start, but I hope it will continue on in your home after you feel a little bit more equipped to speak to your children and your family about pornography. My guest today is Marielle Melling, and she is passionate about helping people to know how to talk about pornography in their homes. Not only that, but sexual health, and to kind of destigmatize these things that are so important to talk about. And just because we're not talking about them in our homes, it doesn't mean our kids aren't hearing them at school, our kids aren't curious, our kids aren't coming across things online. And if there is not a plan in place in order for them to feel safe and comfortable talking to us about these things, they're not going to. And so we're going to talk about how you can bring up these conversations, what we should be telling our kids about pornography. And we also talk about the importance of health education in schools and what she thinks it should look like. Fascinating conversation with Marielle, and I can't wait for you to meet Marielle Melling. All right. I'm so excited to be chatting with Marielle Melling today. Hi, Marielle. Hi, Jessica. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Good. Where am I speaking to you from today? I'm in Oregon. Oregon. How's Oregon doing? Oregon is fantastic. Good. We love it here. We're in a little rural town. Nice. What's the town called? Roseburg. Roseburg. Okay. I haven't heard that one. I've heard lots of rural towns lately in Oregon. I don't know why, but it just like keeps popping up, you know? So, um, cool. Well, uh, yeah, I've never been to Oregon, but it's definitely on my bucket list. I've, I've heard amazing things. It's beautiful. The coast is really fun too. Yeah. Is that where you're from? I'm from the Seattle area, actually. Okay. So staying on in the West. So that's, that's yes. good. Yep. I'm in California. Yes, we have so. been everywhere in between, but we have ended up back here. So it's good. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, Marielle, I'm really excited to chat with you today. I mean, it's kind of weird to be like, I'm pumped to talk about pornography, but I, I am legitimately pumped to talk about pornography because to talk with other people that feel empowered to speak on a difficult topic for many of us um, feels really good that there's resources like you out there to help empower us, to give us language, to give us perspective. So in that respect, I think we should be pumped <laughs> to be yeah. able to hear from people like you. So so thank you so much for, for taking the time this morning. So let's just start a little bit about you. Tell me about yourself and your family. Awesome. So I, as far as like what we're going to talk about today, um, I actually started teaching AIDS prevention when I was in high school. And um, that was a pretty unique program. We taught peers. And so I went on from there and I got my degree in health education and I taught health in high schools Hmm. before my kids were born. And then I got to stay home and be a mom. But during that time, I continued to teach and work with kids and teens in various capacities. So that's been over a decade now. Yeah. Um, so what does AIDS education look like while you're in high school? Like, was it a high school program or in your community? 
I mean, I don't know of any AIDS education programs around me. Yes, it was a really unique and really, really cool program, actually. Mm. And I think my my health teacher, who is one of my great mentors, she was really instrumental in bringing it about. And it, so it was a class period for us, um, this group, and we would learn how to teach and what to teach. And then we traveled around the district and taught our peers. And so it was a really cool program because, I mean, as you can imagine, peer-to-peer is a really great way to um, really reach kids on some of these topics. Wow, that is so interesting. And to be honest, like my health class in high school, it was kind of the throwaway class, right? It's it's the class. It is when you really think about it. And the more I've been listening to podcasts and interviews and doing research on on topics related to health and sex education and pornography and things like that, when we think about how much time we spend on all these other really vital topics in our life to give us sound education and sound foundations. Mm-hmm. This idea of, of sexual health and mental health related to the sexual health part of it and pornography and um, STDs and just having that breadth of knowledge versus kind of just the street knowledge you get and right. whatever cursory knowledge you get in your little health class that most kids don't take seriously or is taught by the high school football coach, which is was my situation in high school. I don't know. How do we help change the perception of the importance of talking about these types of things and making it a legitimate thing. Yeah, that's so important. And I think there is starting to be a shift in the culture. And I think it's a hard thing because when it comes to health, so much about it is very personal and very cultural that it's hard to legislate and it's hard to turn that over to the schools. Mm -hmm. And so schools are trying as best they can, I think, to fill the need. But I always believe it has to start at home for it to have the most impact. And the more involved parents are, then they're going to be able to shape the school culture as well as far as, you know, let's help our kids hear it from all these angles, that health is important and mental health is important. You know, hear it in the media and hear it at home and hear it at school and kind of hit them from all sides. Well, and the interesting thing is, like, I was raised in a home that was had very involved parents, very supportive, very loving. We never talked about any of this stuff. Yeah. Zero. No comfort yeah. level surrounding any of this at all. And and I think that's very common, right? And so I yes. do think it's, it's shifting now in our generation as we as parents are now in charge of educating the next generation. But for us growing up, I don't know how it was in your home, and I'm sure, you know, given the opportunities that you had and the proactivity you had in high school to, to, you know, dive deeper into these topics, that's pretty impressive. Um, But, you know, just because you have involved parents doesn't necessarily mean they're talking about these things because it can just be uncomfortable and you feel ill-equipped. Yes. Yeah, so that's a lot of what I love to help parents see is that our kids are hearing about sexuality and sex and seeing pornography whether or not we're talking about it, right? It is out there. It is on the TV. It is on any screen that's connected to the internet. It's there. And so we have a really important responsibility and really a great opportunity to help our kids understand how best to approach these things. Mm -hmm. That 
Um, just because we're not talking about it, it doesn't mean it's not happening. Right. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> and we think by keeping our kids in this bubble, that is the safe move. Yeah. Right? And so, like, we'll just incubate them from all of these evils in yes. the world and da-da-da-da. <laughs> and that's just – it's just naive to think that way yeah. in this day and age. Well, it and really it's, not, it's not serving our kids either. No. It's, it's not serving our kids because they'll they'll come up of, across these things. I think with more and more kids online, the stories I'm hearing are, are just increasing as far as how young kids are when they're being exposed to pornography. And, I mean, Zoom calls are being – like hacked into now mm-hmm. there's there's no perfectly safe space but we can still prepare our kids and make it a perfectly safe experience for them right well and I even think even as adults when we know what is out there but we don't actually know the ins and outs mm-hmm. of it we're also doing a disservice to ourselves because when mm-hmm. we are not educating ourselves fully we're actually being limited as well to teach our kids and to protect ourselves, our, our spouses, our family as a whole. Um, when we just pretend like, oh yeah, that's all bad, but not like, okay, do we actually know the apps that are really targeting our kids? Do we really know mm-hmm. the types of ads that are popping up within these certain things? Um, you know, yes, filters are good. Yes, all these things are good, but do we have an action plan? Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be an and approach. We're yes. going to have filters in place and we're going to talk about it. Right. We're going to have family guidelines and we're going to have a personal plan. Yeah. I love that so much. So how old are your kids? Um, so we have five kids and they range our, our youngest is two and our oldest is 12. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And how early are you starting these conversations with them about their bodies about, I mean, I'm guessing you're not talking directly about pornography to your two-year-old, but it's, right. it's not just jumping into pornography and saying like the good pictures, bad pictures, that's, that's all you need to know is these are bad, these are good. But what do you, how do you start young, what age, and how does that evolution of education evolve over time? Great. So let me share a little story, if you don't mind. Um, we were at a family dinner and us parents afterwards were just chatting after we'd finished eating. My husband said, you know, I haven't seen the kids for a while. I'm going to go check on them. So he went inside, brought the kids back out. They started jumping on the trampoline. And then um, not too much longer, we went home for the night. And after bedtime that night, my husband said, so when we were outside chatting, I had this feeling like I needed to go check on the kids. And when I went in there, he had found our six-year-old watching pornographic videos with one of the friends. And that was an, an eye-opener for me for sure. Um, if you've been there, you know that feeling. It's heart-sickening to see and to feel that that innocence has been stripped away so suddenly. And for me, the, the shocker was really how young they were, six yeah. years old. Yeah. Like, to me, that seemed so young. Yeah. So I shared our experience in an attempt to help other families, really. And because I felt like I had a lot of tools, this was my background, I felt really comfortable handling the situation. So I shared this, and that from then on, I've had family after family after family come to me. And their kids are between the ages of five and eight when they're first exposed. <clears throat> so I would say if your kid's in that range, it's time. The the best way to know is if 
your child has any access to a device with internet connection, then we need to be talking about pornography. So for some kids, that's going to be three and starting to talk about if you see things where people are not modest or people are not wearing clothes and just using words and language that they really understand, but preparing them as soon as you hand them a device to know what to do if that kind of picture pops up. Right. And we have to acknowledge like a six-year-old, you know, or a younger child with a device, like they don't know what they're seeing. Like they have not been given the the playbook in their mind to know like I'm doing something wrong. And so it really was, was not a wrong at, by any means, but all they know is there's something exciting or, or whatever, curious about it. Right. And it's the same thing. Um, you know, more than pornography that's been an issue so far in our home is just like bad language and stuff like in YouTube videos or things like and and my five-year-old will be watching a video that I thought was good because it's just people reenacting superheroes or whatever and then all of a sudden they're swearing but he's not reacting but he doesn't know these words yes. right and but but he's hearing them and it's becoming normalized so in the same way our eyes can become normalized to visuals, our ears can become normalized to swearing or, or the way we talk about certain things or things like that. And it's like, it just, it can start so young. And if those become their norm, uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I love to teach kids is what does real love look like and feel like? Sure. And, and that real love I always like to include it has a an emotional connection. So we like this person, we experience things with them, we have something in common, and then there's also a physical connection. And you know, and we're talking about that from I guess we're showing from the youngest ages, right? Mm-hmm. We're showing respectful touch and we're showing um, kindness. And then we're talking about it as soon as their language skills are caught up to the experiences that they're having. And so when we are introducing this idea of pornography, it's really helpful to tell them, you know, your brain wants you to have relationships. So when you see these images, your brain can recognize that physical connection Mm -hmm. and your brain says, Hey, I, I like physical connection. I want physical connection. And so that can be really confusing for kids, Mm -hmm. but we can help them see, Hey, yeah, we do want that physical connection, but we want that with people. We want that with those that we care about and those that we have that emotional connection with also, not just a screen or a picture. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So what you're talking about is more those preventative type conversations that start young, um, that just become a normal part of kind of your family's culture of what does love look like? What does healthy touching look like? Things like that. Going back to the story of your six-year-old, then you do have a conversation to have after something happens because... We're going to need to have both, right? Because our kids Absolutely. are our kids are going to, you know, encounter those things, and we're going to have to do that. So, so what does the conversation look like after there is, you know, an event that happens that's like, oh, we're going to need to address this? Yeah, and I would say this is any time that something happens that's uncomfortable for our kids. Okay. So pornography in in specific, but also if if there is a touch that they're not comfortable with, or if their friends say something that they're not comfortable with. It's kind of the same process. So number one, it's super important to let our kids talk about it, to let them tell the story and to let them share what their experience was with it. We don't need to force the details out of them. They don't need to relive what they saw necessarily. 
but to let them express how they're feeling and how they're experiencing it and what led up to it Mm -hmm. um, so that they can start to process and integrate, right? So they're understanding, they're bringing the emotion of the experience and what they're feeling and they're putting that into words, which pulls in the thinking part of their brain. And that's what integrating is, right? Our brains are consistently trying to take good care of us and trying to figure out what is that that I saw? Do I need to worry about that? Is that something that's going to come back to hurt me? Or is that something that I want to keep looking for? So our brain is, is trying to pull these pieces together. And when we let our kids talk about it, it really helps them integrate and process that experience. So that's one really important thing is just to let them talk about it. The next is to um, really talk about it in a way that's very calm and not placing blame or shame or guilt in any way. And to be really explicit about that, say, you know what, you didn't do anything wrong, right? That just popped up. Or we haven't talked about this before. Let's talk about it. And you haven't done anything wrong. Let's let's talk about what we want to do next. So talking about it in a way that's really calm and really invites more discussion and then being very reassuring with our kids because this is it every child is going to react differently to seeing pornography and it can be for some kids it's not really a big deal and for other kids it completely rocks their world and it spins them into an anxiety or a depression um, deep confusion or anger and so we want to be able to reassure our kids and and tell them you know what number one i'm here for you we're going to work through this together. And number two, these experiences and these emotions that you're having are okay. They're normal. Mm-hmm. That's a, a very human way to react. And the second part of that is you, you're not going to have to feel this way forever, right? Just let them know that, that this is going to pass and that we're going to work through this together. Right. Yeah, and I love that you brought up that second part of it, being able to approach the conversation in a calm and loving way because it's kind of hard to get our kids to believe they're not going to be in trouble when we're painting this as a big deal, as like something to really take seriously. Even if you're presenting it in a calm way, the nature of it feels very big and weighty and sinful. So getting them to buy in that they're not actually going to be in trouble, it's going to take some some trust on both parts and some proof in the pudding, right? So then when yeah. when it does come up, yes, it will, how are you going to react? Are you going to do what you say you're going to do as the adult? Um, we've had these conversations with my kids. Um, so I have all boys, 10 years old, 8 years old, 5 years old. A few weeks ago, and we've told them what to do and, and that you're not going to be in trouble and all these things that we've just talked about. And uh, a few weeks ago, my son was watching or playing a game, I think it was, and an ad popped up. And I don't even still know what the ad was, but it was something that was not appropriate, did not make him feel comfortable. And my 10-year-old raced upstairs, and he's like, Mom, I just had to click out of an ad that wasn't appropriate. I think it was pornography. But the way he said it was like he was so proud to like ha- like to report. He was yes. like, it was like citizen's arrest. He's just like, <laughs> and I'm like, thank you for telling me. I'm like, is there anything that we need to do? Should we remove the game? Should we, whatever. He's like, no, I've, I've played this game a lot. I've never seen that ad, but now I know what it looks like. So I can, you know, click out of it or whatever. And uh, great. Like, I, I'm so proud yes. of you. Good job. Yes. But yeah, I, that's I was, like a giant high five, yes, right? I was so, but I was genuinely shocked at how proud he was to tell me versus 
knowing how I was growing up, I would have come with my tail between my legs if I felt, I would have been like shamed or guilted into feeling like, mom, because I would still feel like it's somehow my fault. Even if I knew that it randomly popped up in a game, but for some reason, my, my kids, like, they are proud to feel equipped and to feel more powerful than what they're seeing. And that yeah. is the thing. Even if you see something bad or even if they do something bad, you know, make a bad choice or things like that, like, they are not bad. And, and they know their worth. And they know their worth to me as well. So I felt so good. about. I'm so proud of him. You know? Yay, and that's it's like, amazing. And yeah. I think that comes from a lot of things. It's not from one conversation that you've had. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not like like preparing our kids for a world where they're going to see pornography is not a, a checklist item. It's not like, ooh, whoosh, I had that talk and now we're done. Yeah. It's something that we show them in the fact that we do talk about it, that we talk about it often, that we talk about it in a way that's calm, but it's also the way that we react to all of the mistakes that they make. Mm -hmm and to all of the little things that they tell us or the situations that they come to us and they're kind of uncomfortable. In all of those moments, do we take a second and breathe and, and say thank you? Thank you for telling me mm. that. I know that was really hard. Or thank you for being honest about that. I know that you're feeling like you made a mistake. Whatever it is, helping our kids see, hey, no matter what, I'm on your side. That's fantastic, Mariel, because I do think that pornography is quite villainized and, and it's not a good thing. Like, it is a dangerous, destructive tool to really bring bring down families and marriages and women. Like, it, it's a mess. It's a mess. It is terrible. And there are lots of things that are terrible. And as much as I don't want my kids viewing pornography, I also don't want them lying. I also don't want them bullying. I also don't want them doing a lot of things that just are not indicative of the type of character I want them to have. And so I think the more we can educate ourselves that this is one prong that mm -hmm. we want to educate ourselves on, our kids on, things like that. And then there's other prongs to do too, you know? And then, and like you said, every time they make one of those good choices or report back or come clean or whatever it is, in any situation, good job. I'm so proud of you for stepping up in that and, and staying true to what you know is right. And, or I forgive you if you, if you made that mistake and we're going to do better next time, aren't we? You know, I love that. Yeah. 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 It's really, it's really an honor to sit in that place, uh, yeah. honestly, to be the one that our kids come to when something uncomfortable happens or when they're feeling guilty. It's, an honor to sit there and to be the one that gets to reassure them and tell them, you know what, we all make mistakes and it's going to be okay. Yeah. And thank you so much. And that's a, a really special place to sit as a parent. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. Um, I love Brene Brown and she talks a lot about how mm -hmm. shame really works. Like we can shame our kids and they might follow suit and be exactly the type of people we want them to be, but it will ruin them. It will ruin them. They will yeah. never be the full expression of who they were meant to be. And so while shame works, it, it also doesn't. So, it's like fear it also, is, right? That fear right. causes people to do the right things, but it doesn't cause them to feel the right things. Yeah. So, and really we're working so much more importantly with what our kids are feeling because that's going to be their motivation in the end when we're not around, when we're not looking over their shoulder, 
right? And we want to empower them to make these choices. And that's a really important thing when you're making, having these conversations is to say, you know what, you are, you get to make this choice. This is a, a cool choice and a big choice that you get to make. You get to choose to not look for pornography. Mm-hmm. And you get to choose, if it pops up on accident, you get to choose to look away. You get to choose to do something else and teach your brain, this isn't what I want. And so we're empowering them to help them see, hey, you are, you're bigger than these things. That's, and that's exactly what my son did in that, in that moment was like he felt that power. And yeah, I think that's so great. So what does that look like in your home, generally speaking, not just about pornography, but how are you empowering your kids to to not let fear rule their decisions, to let them, you know, have their their free will and to make the choices they're going to make and and to sometimes make mistakes and sometimes make great choices, but ultimately fear and shame is not does not have a place in your home. Yeah, that is a big question. I think part of that is like a foundation of who we're teaching our children that they are, right? So we are trying to show and tell and in every way possible help our kids understand at your core you are good, you are worthy, you are loved, and the job now is to grow into that goodness, right? So we are saying mistakes are part of that, failures are part of that, we're showing that with the way that we handle our own mistakes that, hey, mom messes up all the time. And when I mess up, what I'm going to try and do is own up to it and learn from it, right? It's not the end of the world. It's not really that big a deal because it's happening all the time. But we're, we're showing and teaching them the foundation of, hey, you are good. This is the baseline. You are worthy. And then from there, it's kind of that growth mindset that we're teaching them. We are always changing. Our brains are changing. Our bodies are changing. And our goal is to change and this good direction. Hmm. Something that that got me thinking about was kids have really different personalities. And like I said, yeah. like growing up, I would have my tail between my legs if I had to report to my parents that I saw something or did something wrong, right? Versus, you know, other kids do feel more confident or maybe outspoken with their friends, whereas some are more shy. And so I think personality plays into this as well in kids' ability to withstand these types of temptations or handle these types of difficult situations and as much as we might feel like within our four walls we're we're a fortress like no pornography in our four walls right like we've we've got this and even in isolation our kids might know better and be able to to make those good choices we don't get to pick our kids friends and as much as we hope that they have great friends kids are getting devices earlier and earlier parents have different rules about apps and access and these conversations how do I do that because like, my biggest fear is like going over for a play date and not having those eyes and even if you're instilling that in your kids especially depending upon personality sometimes it's just hard for kids to stick up especially to other kids absolutely what do we do I think I know I think right it's different like you said for every kid And so we need to find the ways that we connect with each child. And I, one thing that has been super helpful for us is having a system in place where we have one-on-one time with our kids. Mm -hmm. And so for us, that happens at bedtime. All the kids go to bed, they start reading, and then dad and I go around and we have one-on-one time with the kids. And that kind of presents itself as, hey, here's this time and we're going to fill it with whatever this child needs right now. Mm -hmm. 
And sometimes that's a conversation. Sometimes that's reading a story together. Sometimes um, it's, you know, just being silly and doing shadow puppets with the four-year-old, whatever it is. But having that space in place becomes a, a really special time and a time for us to meet the needs of that specific child. Mm. And so I, this is a, the time when a lot of our kids have said, hey, I have a question before we read the story. And then they'll ask something that they've been thinking about. Or um, we'll do a little check-in, you know, how, how was it at your friend's house today? Did anything uncomfortable happen? And this time has become a really safe place hmm. where they know it's just mom and me and, and I am free to talk and to say and to do whatever mm-hmm. um, I need at this time. So I think that, that can be really helpful. And then I think teaching our kids specifically, right? So I think for our family, we have a... Um, a weekly chance where we sit down as a family and we learn together. So we're, we have that chance to be very intentional and to have lessons about, hey, this is how important your friends are. And how do we, pe- how do we choose good friends, mm. right? And, and having that opportunity to teach things really intentionally and then throughout the week picking out little teaching moments to reinforce those things that we care about and that we are hoping that they are learning but putting that system into place where we are also having really um, sit down and an almost formal learning time as a family because we have so much bombarding our children, right, from all sides with what's okay, what's not, how to be a good character, personality, what's respectful, what's not. And if we can carve out that time to be intentional and to be very specific about what we're teaching them, that's one more way that we can kind of get into their brains, right? Yeah. I think the last thing on that point that I'd say for the moment is that when we look at, let's say, for example, like drug abuse prevention programs, we have a lot of really good data about those because they've been around for a long time. So the programs that are the best, meaning that they actually help kids not do drugs in the long term. Mm -hmm. They found a couple things in common with those. One is that the programs are very interactive. Mm -hmm. So rather than being a lecture, they are, the kids are involved. They're role playing, they're answering questions. They're seeing what these situations look like in real life. And then the second thing is that those programs are over a long period of time. So I think in any of these cases where we're trying to equip our kids we can take both of those principles. We want it to be interactive, the way that we're teaching them. It's not just a lecture. And then we want to hit on it you know, over and over. <laughs> yeah, that these are such great tips. What I have found in my own parenting is that most of the best teaching that happens is not like in the heat of the moment. Like kids shut down in really emotional moments, um, definitely moments of like tantrum or escalation or things. But even like right after, even that's not the best teaching time. You can kind of address like, you know, whatever needs to happen immediately. But then to follow up a few days later or in your family meeting or whenever that is and just say, you know, let's talk about let's talk about making friends and what that looks like. Or let's talk about if we see bullying at school, you know, how you can be a friend to those that need a friend. And and even if it's just one child struggling with it, like all kids will benefit from this knowledge. And you don't need to target on because, you know, Johnny is just really struggling and he saw porn <laughs> last week, so we're gonna lock it down. Like nobody's in trouble 
but it just resurfaces and gives you inspiration to like, what's that next lesson? And what, and what do we need to talk more about as a family? And so whether it's role playing in a really fun way, or you can do your shadow puppets to act out things, you know, like you're so right that if we can make it interactive and, and frequent and less just like, like cleanup duty, you know, it doesn't need to be like cleanup conversations. It can be just those ongoing conversations of like, just character building, really, mm-hmm. and uh, and it will benefit everybody, even if it's just one or two children that are struggling with this, um, and then they don't feel singled out. And another way is to to use movies or books or or the friend who's you know struggling with drugs. What do we do? Like, or they found porn in their you know whatever on the computer, and they start looking at it. Like, what should you do? So taking like the the hot seat away from your child and, and using a character or a, a character interpretation to, to help them to, you know, kind of deflect those like, oh, they're talking about me, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Another thing we can do along those lines too is point out when we see that positive behavior. Great. Hey, yeah. look at your cousin. Look at how they da 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 Yes. Or look at the character, like you said, look at the character in this book. And what did this character do when something their friends were bullying or doing something that made them feel uncomfortable. Now, that took a lot of courage, didn't it? Do you think you would feel comfortable doing that? Do you think you could do that if that happened in your, you know, amongst your friends? So pointing out when we see the positive behavior is really motivating and also gives them a direction to point, right? To point their sights like, yeah, that's, that's how I want to be. That's how I want to act. That is fantastic. Cause here I am just giving like the negative examples of like, you don't want to be like them. You want to be the opposite. Right. But you're so right. Having them have those positive examples, whether it's other adults or um, teenagers or things like that. Um, I love having those examples for my kids to look to and saying like, look what a cool kid that is. Um, one of my friend's sons was on the high school soccer team. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the game, they stopped gameplay, and the ref said, who just said the F word? And he, like, really wanted to know who said the F word among them. He heard it. It was not appropriate in that setting. And all the kids are kind of looking at each other. And he was kind of started to look towards my friend's son. And as soon as that happened, two of the other players stepped up and just said, well, it wouldn't be him because he never swears. Like, that would not come out of his mouth for sure. And so they weren't quite willing to admit that maybe it was one of them. But they were like, no, 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 don't even look in his direction because we know. And and kids do notice, right? Like yeah. other kids' good behavior. And whether it influences their friends or not, fine. Or their teammates, fine. But they're they're picking they're picking it up. And so you can still be the cool kid. You can still be popular. You can still be on the soccer team. You can still be, you know, a you know, among some stuff that maybe is not great, but you can stand out as the kid that doesn't swear or the kid that turns off movies that are not appropriate or the kid that doesn't go to that party just because everyone else is. You can be that kid. Yeah. I and love how cool that. is that? I love that idea. Helping our kids see that it is okay to be the only one. Yes. Right? It is okay to be the only one. And the reality of it is that really you only feel like the only one. Yes. And because helping them that see that. Because you, when you make a choice like that, when you stand up for something that you think is right, you're empowering everybody else who is thinking the same thing but is not quite brave enough yet to say it. Uh, and that you can be the one that, that does it first and helps everybody else. Yeah. Because helping our kids to realize, like, those bad feelings of not fitting in, it's like, would you want to fit in with that anyway? So so be a part of, of the more silent majority that's feeling insecure. Um, so you're really 
being yeah more seen by people than the majority the, the minority that's like just causing issues yeah I like yeah. that that's I think we can be a really great I know so we want to be our kids friend but we don't want to be our kids friend I know that's yeah. a big conversation but we always want to be our kids friend mm-hmm. right there are going to be times when they feel alone, when they feel um, that nobody understands them, when they feel that if they do that, it's going to ruin their social lives. And we want them to know that even in those really hard choice or those hard situations, that they still have us, mm, I like right? That. that they still have that relationship with us and help them see that life is bigger than than what it feels like right now. And we can do that when we tell our own personal stories. When we say, you know what, when I was younger, this happened. Or, you know, in movies, in whatever it is, saying these kids that were bullied, look, they went on and they met new friends and life went on and let them see that there is a life beyond this really hard moment right now. Mm -hmm. This moment where you feel like the only one or where you feel left out or where you feel like nobody understands you. And that's an epidemic right now. I mean, kids feeling mm-hmm. like they're the only one, like they're left out, and really, ultimately, there's no reason to keep going because it's not going to get better, right? Like, that is a mental epidemic, and we've got to address that. We have to address that in our kids, and it really does start in our homes. So while you and I and many of the listeners may feel compelled to have these conversations in our home, we're having them regularly, we're doing our very best there's still a lot of homes that are not having these conversations that kind of are stuck in maybe the older ways of thinking if either not talking about it or kind of being frivolous about the damage some of this misinformation has and things like that and so what is your stance on what is covered in school i mean you used to teach health in high school and everything like that and now younger and younger they're putting stuff into our kids curriculum in elementary school um yeah, what's, what's your take on it? Because a lot of people are up in arms that, you know, it should only be taught in the home, but recognizing it's not taught in every home, it's tricky. It's a tricky thing. What's your thought? It is really tricky. So I feel like it needs to be a local, like a local decision that parents need to get involved and you need to call your school. You need to say, hey, what's on the curriculum for health? What's on the curriculum for internet safety? A lot of schools are now um, showing things about internet safety which is great. There's a lot of good programs out there. Um, So I would say as a parent, get involved because when you do that, you are helping the parent who either doesn't have the opportunity to be involved or doesn't know how to be involved or doesn't know that they could or should be involved. Hmm. Right. So when you are, and if you're listening, then you, you know, you now know, go get involved. Mm -hmm. Right. So figure out what your, your local stand is right now. And then, um, help guide that discussion as far as like general principles I would say um it is important for our kids to hear it in school and having that be a conversation that then they can now talk to that with about that with their peers and they can talk about that with their teachers that it's another source of of understanding and learning um that being said there are so many different opinions about what is the norm or what the best approach is and Mm -hmm. things like that. So again, I think it needs to be a local decision where parents are, are really having a say. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. If you're not comfortable with it, you have to put your hat in the ring. You have to get involved. You can't just passively say like, Nope, I don't like that. 
well, then, then what? Because they're going to do something. And mm-hmm. for a lot of people that have, you know, religious backgrounds that really influence what and how they want their kids to learn about these things, you know, they're still going to hear about these things, you know? And while our, our discomfort may come with how it's presented and things like that, that's where your involvement will help to kind of shape these things. Um, but like you said, it just becomes more opportunity for discussion for your kids. And while some of these things may be very uncomfortable or whatever, like you not talking about it doesn't dismiss it or take it away or mean that they're not going to hear it at school and way better coming from you, but also being aware of the curriculum ahead of time can really help those conversations to go a little bit better. Right? Yes. And being really connected with your kids, right? Because whether or not like if it comes from a teacher or if it comes from a student, being connected with your kids and being able to know what's going on mm-hmm. and what they're learning and what they're hearing and fielding questions and filling in, um, you know, confusion or differences of opinion or whatever you want to call it, that comes with that connection with our kids. Yeah. And so it doesn't really matter. It does matter, but it's less important what the curriculum is when we are fully involved in shaping our children's education as their first teacher anyway. Yeah. I like that a lot. And, and going back to like the power stance of like giving our kids power to make these choices. You know, I've heard a lot about that, the argument for just promoting abstinence in, you know, high school curriculum and things like that and, and not wanting to introduce all these other things. But instead of saying like abstinence means saying no to sex, it's like saying yes to a stance on, how you're going to use your body, right? And so even just that reframing of the same exact thing, it's not just like shut it down, <laughs> you know, like yes. nothing, like nobody should do anything like that in high school. Yeah, obviously, like for many of us, that's what we hope our kids will choose. But but even still, I hope that they, they want to do that for a certain purpose versus just being like, that's not appropriate, that's not okay, you're bad if you do that. Mm-hmm. But it's the same exact action it's just the mindset yeah it's going back to that motivation again right that feeling and that is causing the choice yeah Yeah. I love that so these discussions can be uh really heated Mm -hmm. unfortunately between adults right because it feels so important and because it is so important so I think it's it's wise to keep in mind that there's always a common ground Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. that we're coming at it from the same place we want what's best for our children and Oftentimes, it's not a matter of uh, what to teach, but when to teach it. Mm-hmm. So we, when we're having these conversations and when it gets down to the school board and saying, hey, you know what, this is, this is a good thing to teach, but my second grader doesn't need to be having this conversation yet. Let's talk mm-hmm. about moving that into the fifth grade or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But we can find common ground, and that usually helps these discussions move forward um, with progress rather than just like an angry yeah. Like, exchange. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Yeah. It just shuts it down. It just shuts it down. So I, I would hundred percent (sighs) agree. This is good. This is good. I'm feeling empowered. (laughs) Right. And the thing is like, so after this episode, you don't need to go and like sit down with your kids and be like, okay, we're going to cover everything we need to cover. Like don't stress, don't stress, but just look for those learning opportunities and those teaching moments where it's like, huh, I have my kid captive in the car and, you know, they're kind of just looking out the window like, 
maybe I talk to them about their friends and, you know, who has devices and do they have certain apps and huh, what do you think about that? And do you think stuff ever comes up? You know, it doesn't need to be really targeted or, or premeditated. These really meaningful conversations can happen very frequently and informally and, and without being really threatening, right? Yes. For either yeah. one of us. It's, it's a lot. So I, I teach that there's five things that every child needs to know about pornography. Okay, go. So, okay. So the first one is that they need to know what it is. Okay. Right? In words and language that they understand. They need to know what some of the effects are so that they can make an educated decision. They need to know what to do if they see pornography. They need to know what real love looks and feels like so that they can recognize you know, I'm seeing a false portrayal of it here in pornography, and this is what I'm choosing. This is the kind of connections I really want in life. Mm -hmm. And then they need to know that you can talk to me about this from mm -hmm. a trusted adult, a parent. Okay. Mm -hmm. So all five of those things, we can talk about them in a really formal way. We can also talk about them, like you said, in a moment, in a passing, in a, this doesn't really, I'm not talking about pornography, but I'm talking about our relationship. I'm building our relationship. It's so much more about relationship. You know, we want both, but understanding sometimes parents are so fearful of this and feel like I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to have this conversation. But when we bring it into the lens of I'm talking to my child about this because I love them, we're really good at that. Mm. We are really good at loving our kids, mm -hmm. right? And so mm -hmm. making it more about the relationship and the having being willing to talk to our kids about anything because we love them, that feels like a lot more doable perspective, and that's a lot more of the reality of what's actually going to help our kids. Yeah, we can do that. We feel equipped yeah. for that. I would I would venture yes. to say every single mom listening feels equipped to do that, even if they don't feel equipped say penis in front of their kids right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah um Marielle thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your passion for helping families to navigate this hopefully one day we'll, we won't think of this as quite so scary or daunting and it will just kind of be another subject that they do learn about in it in a in life right and and that they're learning it from us and we can do it in a way that's empowering for ourselves, right? It's not, we're just not empowering them. We're empowering ourselves to relay this information and um, this healthy modeling for our kids. Where can people find you online? Do you have information or where, where do you yes. share? So my website is um, love and life with littles, www.lovin life with littles. And if you want specifically pornography stuff, a great place to start is love and life with littles.com backslash teach about pornography mm -hmm. you can find a lot of uh, my resources there mm -hmm. and then i am also on instagram and facebook okay. at love and life with littles awesome so so good well i always ask my guests one final question and it's this what would you tell your pre-motherhood self that is a good question i think i would write a whole book <laughs> um I, I think one would be when you come up against a really hard uh behavior it's most likely a stage mm. just hang in there it's not gonna last forever you haven't ruined your child your child's not the only one that has ever acted this way and um it just hang in there mm. love that kid with the crazy antics and 
it'll it'll pass that's so good oh it feels like it's gonna last forever when you're in the middle of it though doesn't it it does yes (laughs) we have been there oh thanks so much for sharing your passion your knowledge thank you for having me what lucky kids you have thank you jessica have a great day I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Isn't Marielle just so enthusiastic about this topic and doesn't that inspire you to feel a little bit more empowered to do your part? We want to give our kids power. We're not trying to scare them. We're not trying to shame them. We're trying to empower them and you are equipped to do that. So check out all the links over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com to find Marielle and all of her amazing work that she has done. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDahlquist3 or on Facebook at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast. So good to have you here today. If you like what you hear, I would love for you to share the show, leave a review if you're newer and you haven't done that yet. That helps the show so, so much. And I am just so grateful for you. You truly are extraordinary. So we will see you next week, everybody, for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.